All right, well, good morning. Uh, it's good to have everybody here and thankful that you all made it out. Uh, pulling into the parking lot, I saw a huge helicopter that was around, and I, I don't know, I got a little nervous. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, William had sent me a video of it, so I knew it was there, but I thought uh, maybe I, I didn't, couldn't see what it was. I thought maybe it was like a, an emergency helicopter or something, and then when it was still there, I was like, well, what's going on? What am I coming into? And then I realized it was like a couple buildings over, so you never know what you're going to get in the city, right? Um, <laughs> The, I, said, I mean, that's the exciting part of living in Atlanta to me, as you never know what's going to happen. Um, but it's great to be here and uh, thankful for the security that we have, that we can meet, and that we have this place every Sunday. Um, we don't have anybody uh, coming down here disrupting us, really. The only thing we ever have to worry about is if it's going to be too hot or too cold in here, and uh, we can all debate that, you know, on how we feel about that. So, um I want to talk this morning about our what we're required to do, and, and really just asking the question, um, what does God require of us? And specifically, we're going to be looking at Luke 17 in a second, but I want to start in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're just going to look at one verse there and then um, talk about that, and then I want to go to Luke 17, and we'll uh, camp there and for a little bit and walk through that story, that parable uh, that Jesus tells in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, beginning in verse 50, really, Paul talks about a wide range of things, and, and he talks about this being a mystery. He t- talks about um, how we can inherit the kingdom of God, and then he goes into just kind of what's going to happen after this life, just the reality of this is mortal, we will put on immortality. This is perishable, we will put on imperishable, those that are part of the kingdom. And then he says this in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I mean, it's a great verse. It's great for like just to pluck out and use it as a theme. Uh, I know that because the church that I was a part of before I moved here, that, that was the theme for that year, was always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's a very positive, like kind of rallying everybody together, be like, what can I do? Take personal ownership, but also what can we do together kind of thing. Um, but the interesting thing to me is this question about, uh, the question I have from the middle of the verse where he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And my question is, what does that work? What is the work of the Lord? And we could go back to the last, some of the last days of Jesus where he gives what we call the Great Commission, you know, that you need to go and teach and, you know, teach people to repent and be baptized, you know, and uh, we call that spreading the gospel. And we can say, well, that's the work of the Lord. But also in 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of things that he's told them that they should be doing, things that they should be focusing on. And it isn't necessarily just about spreading the gospel or teaching the lost, as, as some might say. Uh, it has to do with internal things, uh, helping the brothers and the sisters, equipping each other, encouraging each other, um, even holding each other accountable to the commandment of the Lord. Um, so I want to start by just asking the question, what is this work? Uh, one passage that I thought that we could go to that I don't, I don't really want to take the time to turn there is in Colossians 3. Uh, there are several things he lists there to specific people in Colossians 3, verse uh, 18 through 24. Uh, he talks to wives, talks to husbands, talks to children. And one part there that he actually talks to is bond servants. And I think that, and that's in verse 22. 
But then he goes on, and at the end of verse 24, he actually just says that, that we should serve Christ. And really, I think what he's saying is that through all of those things, what we are doing is serving Christ, whether fulfilling our obligation, our requirement as a wife, a husband, a child, a parent, um, a servant, a master, whatever it is, we are fulfilling our obligation to serve Christ as the Lord. So I think those are some passages that would be helpful, like passages like that are helpful for us to think of, what is the work of the Lord that I need to be involved in? And instead of just thinking about acts of service or uh, thinking about actually sitting down and teaching someone the gospel that doesn't know or is confused about some things, what we really should do is we think about just what is the Lord require of me as his servant? That's my work. That's the work of the Lord. So that brings us to Luke 17. Luke 17. So in, in Colossians 3, he talks about bond servants. Well, in Luke 17, Jesus is talking about a bond servant as well. Um, and he's talking about this in a parable. It's, it is one of the parables that we're going to study through, but it's lumped together with a couple of others. So whoever winds up having that, it might be me here in several weeks um, when we're going through it in our class. Um, I don't think I'm going to be stealing a bunch of your thunder or anything, and I apologize if I am. There's nothing that, well, there's nothing you can do about it now. So uh, we're going to be talking about Luke 17. Uh, so let's go ahead, and I want to start in verse 1, though. That way we get a little bit of the context because as we get to verse 7, I think it's very interesting that Jesus says this when he does, given the context. So Jesus says to his disciples in verse 1, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, and dress properly, and serve me while I can eat while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. I remember this parable from several years ago thinking, oh, that's, that's a great, like, I, I love the message from that because at the end, we're all unworthy servants. At the time, I was very law-focused, I think. I was just like, tell me the commandments. That's what I must do. And truthfully, I wasn't really doing them. I just wasn't committing outward sins that were against the Word of God. But as far as going and doing and actually serving and thinking about what the Lord wanted from me, not just what he didn't want me to do, but what he wanted from me, I really fell short in that. I had, a, I had a misconstrued idea of what this passage truly meant. And the reason I wanted to read the whole thing is because if we just pluck out 7 through 10, that's, a, that's some great lessons we could come up with. But if you think about the context, why does he talk about the servant plowing, coming in, seeing that the master hasn't ate yet, and you know the servant's not going to eat, he still needs to serve the master. After he serves the master, then he can eat. 
So us, when we, when we sit back and think about it, we're all unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty to do. After he talks about temptation, not causing other people to stumble, um, saying it's better if a millstone is hung around their neck, and then, and then you have to forgive people, even if it's seven times in a day, and you know, really as much as they say, I repent, you must forgive them. And then they say, increase our faith. And then he says, if you had faith like this, just a little, small bit of faith, like a mustard seed, great things would happen, basically. Things that seem improbable. I don't even know if they totally understood what a mulberry tree was. Like, I, I read up on that a little bit, and it, there's a little bit of debate on, does he really mean mulberry tree? Because would a mulberry, mulberry tree have been there at the time? All that, just, you know, kind of ignore that, if you will, because um, we weren't there. I don't know what tree he was actually pointing to. So just think about the point of what he's saying is, you could do something that seems improbable with just this little bit of faith. When they say increase our faith, I don't really know if they mean, Lord, our prayer is that you would increase our faith. I don't know if they mean that or if they just mean, that sounds really hard. Help us. That, that's, I don't know, that's difficult. Then he gets into this. So I think the reason he gets into this is because he wants them to understand that there are things that you will be required to do that are difficult. And you need faith to do that. You need faith to forgive as many times as someone sins against you and asks to repent, just like you need increased faith to continue working even when you think your work's done. And you come in, and there's still work for you to do in the master's house. If you break down what's really happening here with a servant, the servant's, had, the servant's completed his day's worth of work. It says that the servant was plowing or keeping sheep. They're supposed to be out there plowing or keeping sheep. That's what they do. They come in, and why haven't the other servants just done what they were supposed to do? Why haven't they taken care of everything for the master? They're inside. They're, they're doing the stuff inside. But it doesn't matter why or who was responsible for it or anything. I mean, it does matter for the person that maybe dropped the ball. But for this servant that's come in from the field after a day's worth of work, all they know and all they should be focused on is, what does the master need from me now? Well, and not like a, like a bitter, angry, you know, oh, what does he need from me now? Kind of like, you know, oh, what do they, what do they want? You know, kind of thing. But more than that, it's that you want to please the master. You know your place before the master is his servant. What, what work should I do? What is there that needs to be done further? I think that's why he says this. is because it's a difficult thing. It's going to take greater faith. And really the whole point is for us to understand that there will be difficult things for us to do in the kingdom. Um, I want to talk about this because when I consider the work of the Lord for me, sometimes I feel like I'm a servant that's just coming in after plowing. You know what? The last thing I want to do is worry about the master eating and drinking. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I, I worked for, I have earned whatever it is that we're eating, okay? Because I did my work that day. And there's other times that I think I'm the person that maybe, you know, I've been inside and I, I understand that there's more work to do. And someone else seems like they don't want to continue doing it. They're ready to eat and drink, right? And so sometimes you can be on either side. You can be on the side where you feel like I've done everything and I'm ready just to have a little bit of rest. And then you can be on the other side where you're like, why isn't this person willing to come and serve? Like, why aren't they... Don't they know that like the master still needs to eat and drink? And one of the biggest things that I, I want us to take away from this morning and from just the, the whole thing here is that 
when we think about the kingdom, when we think about our work in the kingdom and our responsibility to God here, it's not a very, it's not a narrow scope. It's very broad. It's not just you stay in your lane, do this, and that's it. So I was part of a, there was a study, uh, I guess it was a week ago, and it was on the the parable of the talents. And um, there, there'll be another point where I'll bring this up as well. But I, I started thinking about that, and uh, someone made a comment during that that, you know, you, you have to find your strengths and realize that those are, are your talents. And, and I generally, generally agree with that. But then it was as I was thinking about that in this context, I was thinking, I don't need to only focus on my talents and on what my strengths are. I just need to focus on the work there is to do. If the guy that had the 10 talents had only focused on like, well, hey, look, I'm only good at this. He might not have made as many talents as he had. Um, if the guy that had the one talent had at least focused on what he could have done with it and the, and the work he could have done, he probably would have done more than just bury the talent. So you can see that like, you can go off track one or the other. You can be so focused on like, this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm going to do, that you ignore the other things you could do. But you could also zoom out and just feel overwhelmed by it and just think, well, I don't even know what to do. I'll just bury it. And then at least you know, the master has that. At least he has that one talent that he gave me. Both are, well, both are wrong. What we really need to do is we need to think, obviously, what is it that the Lord wants for me? And what seems to come natural for me that I know I can do, that I know I can get to work in. But just generally, let me broaden out. Let me zoom out and see what is the work of the Lord that I'm to do. So that's what I want to continue talking about. So, um, and I, and I kind of wonder if this would be easier if, if we had a little bit more of like a, a, a mindset of someone in the military where it's not about your role I mean, it is about your role. We're going to have a conversation with that later if you don't fulfill it. But when we're in the moment, it's about what is the command. And that in accomplishing the command, following the command, that's what this is about. If someone drops the ball on their end, what, it's not, I shouldn't wait for them to pick it up and you know, fix it or whatever, get to work. It's about what is the command? What does the leader say? And we're going to do that. And I think that's kind of what, what I get from this passage in Luke 17. We need to serve the master. We need to obey the master's commands. And you know, that sounds similar to some things that we, uh, that we, we referenced in 1 Corinthians 15, but it also sounds similar to some things that are in Colossians 3 that we didn't read. John 12, 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will, be my servant. There will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There's no way around it. We, we must see our lives as being a service to God. Um, we need to follow Jesus, and in that we are serving him. He says, where I am, there will my servant be also. So just to kind of get this out of the way, if we're not following Jesus, we're not truly a servant of him. But on the same, the same logic, if I'm not serving him, Am I really following him? And the answer with that to that would be no. Let's go over to Romans chapter 12. Romans, the 12th chapter. Initially, I just thought that this would be, the first verse would be a good passage to read that would be very broad, 
and kind of all-encompassing. But then as I started looking throughout the rest of the chapter, I realized that for what I want to talk about and get into some of the specifics today, I think Romans 12 is a great passage to read. So we're going to read through all of Romans 12. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So there, there's like the broad view of this is what the Lord wants from us. This is what the Lord requires of us. I need to view my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. I need to, I need to strive to be holy and acceptable in all things that I do in the body. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, doing so, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. Just as a side note, um, especially starting in verse 9, uh, but really that whole chapter, I think it's really interesting that um, Paul, who is king of the run-on sentence, just has like point, point, point. And he just kind of like hits these things and moves on. And, and they all kind of, you see how they all relate, but he's just... He's just rattling these things off over and over. It's like, I mean, they're the shortest sentences that I can remember reading throughout like this long of a section of Paul's writings, really. Because usually when he says something, he goes on and he expounds on that thing. And then he kind of goes back and he continues his point. He doesn't do that here. His point has been made. You are to view yourself as a living sacrifice. The things you do in the body need to be good and acceptable to God. And then he goes on. Um, and I think that it's really interesting also that he says um, this one little thing in verse 11 where he says, serve the Lord. I think that is his main point of this whole chapter. Serve the Lord. 
he starts that way. And then he talks about all these things. He talks about what we need to do um, as, as a church and as, as the body of Christ. And, talk, and then he kind of zooms out a little bit from that and just relationships in general. You know, how should you uh, think about people and treat each other? What should you do in that? Um, but then he has these specific things about uh, being fervent in spirit. And, and uh, I think that he's probably referencing to how you can... Um, the things you do in the body and in service as, as a church that, you know, you don't want to be slothful and zeal, you'd be fervent, fervent spirit. But these little things like rejoicing and hope, patient tribulation, all of that, I think it's all in the context of serving the Lord. We need to put others' needs above our own. We don't need to, we need to, we do not treat everyone how they would treat us, but rather we bless those who persecute us. We promote peace, and to whatever is within our control, we live in harmony with others. I want to talk about a few specific things that I thought of that I might not view as something that is required of me, but when I think of, uh, when I step back and I think of all the requirements that could be there for the from the Lord, um, I realize that even if I feel like I'm on the short, it's, I, I drew the short end of the stick, it's still my requirement for the Lord. I might feel like I'm that guy coming in from plowing the field, but you know what? I, I still have to focus on serving God. One of those is when there are disputes over, not doctrine, but what we would agree is opinion. There are a lot of conversations that I've been a part of with people where we, we understand, we're on the same page, like this is an opinion, okay? Um, I don't want to bring up specifics right now just because I don't want to distract anybody from their mind going down the path of, you know, well, hang on, what does Blake really think about that? Or, you know, what are the other, you know, I, I just want to toss it out there. Like there are some things that we would agree or disagree on and, but we would agree that they're not doctrine. They are not something that is like, okay, you are sinning because of this, or you are opposed to the Lord because of this belief in this thing. It never fails that there will be someone that is more opinionated on that specific subject. So let's say I'm the one that is not as opinionated on that specific subject. What is my duty to my brother or sister in that instance? Well, I could try to teach them. But what, after, what if after that they still say, I hear what you're saying. I realize there's another side to this. I still, I was brought up a certain way. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I'm used to. What do you do in that moment? Well, some people would say, well, you go over to passage like Romans, and maybe you uh, go to Romans 14, or maybe you go to a passage in 1 Corinthians, and there's a couple there, and you say, okay, I need to bear with them. I need to, I need, just need to realize that I will put this away. I will not be as, you know, committed to this and say it must be this way. I'll do that for the sake of my brother or sister. And I think that's right. But have you ever been there where you're thinking, what about them? Why aren't they overlooking this? Why aren't they showing love and towards me and mercy towards me and like willing to just kind of like let it happen and it not distract them from the worship service or from studying or whatever it might be? Well, that's not really your concern. Um, at that point, you're trying to figure out why is this other person that's a servant of God not serving the same way? Why, why, why does it feel like I, this is an imbalance 
and that like I'm doing this, I'm giving this up, and they're not willing to give it up. I will give you one example because it doesn't apply here. Um, I remember talking to a guy who um, he grew up um, pretty rough life, and one of the things his style is such that some people would just be a little uncomfortable with his style when he gets up to preach. I mean, I'm not saying it's like crazy style. It's just, you know, he's a little bit of a rocker. Okay. So there are certain things that, you know, some people could get distracted by it, but, and there was someone who talked to him and talked to him about, um, what he was wearing and stuff like that. And no one, no, no, no one else really had a problem with none of the elders, at least none of the leaders of the church did there. And so they had a conversation about it. And, um, and I remember that the guy actually, like, I think he said he gave him some of his suits and was like out here, there you go. Now, now you can wear that. And it was like, it was kind of like, brother, I appreciate it, but that's not why I'm not wearing what you want me to wear. It's not because I don't have it or I can't get it because I don't want to. And then the whole idea was like, how about this? I will do everything I can on my end to not distract you, but I need you on your end to do everything you can to not be distracted by something that we both agree is not a commandment, is not a law. Well, that, that works perfectly, right? That, that's like balance. That doesn't always happen, okay? This is hard for me, and I, I might have talked to some of you about this specifically, but like, that's hard for me. Because if I feel like there's an imbalance, I'm like, okay, teach that person their, what they're supposed to be doing, and that way I'm not burdened anymore. That's not what we read in this passage. Um, and that's not what we get from Luke 17. My concern is not, what is the other servant doing? My concern is, what does the master want from me? What the master wants from me is to show honor to my brother or sister, to prefer them, to outdo one another in showing honor is what he says in verse 10. If you do that, and if I do that, then it does feel like there's a balance. But when there feels like there's not a balance, you don't get worried about it, and I don't get worried about it. It's okay. We, we overlook those things. And again, I, I want to emphasize, I'm not saying we overlook sin, but we overlook our preferences, um, as hard as that might be. That's one example that I thought of that I thought would be um, really applicable from this. Um, another thing that I think we get from this when he talks about the different gifts that we might have, I never need to think that just because something is your quote-unquote gift, that that means that you're that guy. Like, for instance, at work, there's uh, some positions where um, because of the success someone else has had in the past working that position, someone's like, okay, that's theirs. Like you're kind of like assigned to that the next time it comes up. Well, maybe I just got lucky that one time. Okay. Like that doesn't mean I'm good at it. That means like I just happened to stumble across somebody, but that can happen in the church as well. It could be like, okay, well, you know what? You're the, this person you're, you're good at that. So that's what you do. You reach out to people that are sick. Cause I'm not good at that. So you just take care of that for all of us. All right. Um, I, and I could think, okay, Richard, like you're good about having hard conversations with people. I don't want to tell someone they're wrong. I don't want to tell someone they've sinned. You do that and just report back to me. That's not how this works. It also doesn't work where like, okay, someone is in need of some financial assistance and it's something that we're going to do. Like we realize that they come to us and we say, you know what, we're going to do that. And it's not something that we're going to use from the funds that have already been collected. It's like a, a special need that we feel like we're going to help with. Well, you know what? Like that sounds great. 
I'm going to do that. You don't worry about it at all. No, no, no. I know you have some that you want to give. I'll take care of all of it. I think that both of those are a little bit wrong because if I look at this as being a true body, then at times I might see that I'm stronger in certain areas. But when it's something that we are to be doing together, when it's something that is just a requirement of the Lord, then that's something we should share in. Now, that doesn't always mean it's equal, just like in the giving situation. Um, Maybe I do have a little bit more to give, so I should expect to give a little bit more. But that doesn't mean I need to shun and ignore someone that wants to help. What is one of the things he says here about showing hospitality, right? Um, I don't need to take someone's opportunity away is what I'm basically getting at. Um, I can see it happen where uh, a servant is really wanting to do what they can for the master. And another servant is like, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, I, I got it. I got it. Don't worry about it. And the other one's like, no, but like, I feel like this is what the, what the master wants me to do. And what you're doing is you're taking away their opportunity to serve. So both of those instances, one where I just don't want to, or I feel like I'm not good at something. And another where I feel like I'm really good at something. We can kind of find ourselves on the wrong end of that. Really the the whole point is we need to view ourselves as a body that works together in harmony, serving the Lord and fulfilling our obligations to each other. We're not going to turn there, but in Matthew 25, um, we're the, actually the parable of the talents is there as well. But later on in the passage in Matthew 25, there is uh, the whole scene of the judgment seat. Uh, that he paints there where there's some that come and the Lord says you did this for me you f- fed me you clothed me you did all this you know enter into the kingdom basically and the people are sitting there saying scratching their heads when did we see you naked and clothe you and hungry and feed you and he says that when you did it to the least of these you did it to me and there were others that he says you know you will not enter into the place of rest because you never did this. And they're like, when did we see you? If we had seen you, we would have done that. But you didn't do it to the least of these. So therefore you didn't do it to the Lord is what he says there. I bring that up because I think there's, there are some times where I might not recognize all the ways that I serve, or I might not recognize all the ways that I can serve. Those standing before the Lord didn't realize how they had served him. They They had done some of those things to others, but not to him directly. And God tells them that, you know, you did it to me. You did it for me. I think that's a really good example of what we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago from Matthew 6. We didn't get a chance to get into it too much where he talked about, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, The point and the focus of the servant needs to always be to serve the master, regardless of who it's to. And... I might not think that I'm doing something that's really that grand. And I might think that it's, you know, it's just a little thing. Realize that God looks at that. And he doesn't want you to to look at it as being that grand because he wants you to keep on serving. But realize that God looks at that. And the same way you do it to that person or do it in this situation, you're doing it to him. I think what will help us to understand what the Lord wants from us and to see... um, see what the Lord requires of us, is we need to know the master. Going back to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, the problem with the, what we call the one talent man 
um, is that he says, when the master comes back from his journey, he says, Lord, I knew you to be a harsh man and that you reaped where you did not sow. So here's your talent that you gave me. And the master says, if you knew that I reaped where I did not sow, why would you just give, it basically is like, why would you just give me back what I gave to you? If you know the character of the master is such that he doesn't view the things that he just gives you as like, that's mine and that's all that I have. He, he actually expected him to do something with it. Who knows how long he had been gone. But it's clear that, the, under, that during that time frame, he could have done something with that one talent. Um, the problem was he knew the master, but he didn't act accordingly. If he acted accordingly, then he would have done something with it out of respect for the master. He would have said, I know you're this way, Lord, so I'm going to do everything I can with what you've given me. And I think that's the lesson for us as well, or a lesson from that for us. We shouldn't only think about what we are responsible for, and nor should we think that um, we shouldn't only take responsibility for what we recognize is in our charge. We need to know that God... He might not be a harsh master like that servant said in Matthew 25, but he does reap where he does not sow. Um, I might want to take a look at the things that I have and understand that they're not just mine. In fact, they're the Lord's. And anything that I could have is also the Lord's. And maybe that helps me put it into perspective. So I need to zoom out. I need to serve the master with a broad scope and not a narrow scope. We need to recognize that I don't always know the ways that I serve him, and that's, that's a good thing. Um, but I, So I need to continue to serve him in the small things, and I think is a lesson from Matthew 25. What will help me, what will help us to actually not only meet the requirements, but further know what God wants from us and how we can serve him, is that I, I know the master more. So what that's going to take is, just more study, more of an understanding of who he is and his character. When I read through the Bible, I don't need just to read to gain knowledge of events that happened. I need to read through it trying to understand who God is. That helps me to know how I serve him. And the last thing that I just want to point out is that servants do receive a reward. Uh, even though that passage in Luke 17 says that we are unworthy servants, we've only done what was our duty to do, realize that servants do have a reward. There is a time where the servant was going to be able to recline and eat and drink. And a few of the other passages that we already talked about um, say things that are similar. Um, the first passage we read in 1 Corinthians 15, your labor is not in vain. Another passage that we reference says that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Um, another passage, the Father will honor the one that follows and serves Jesus in John chapter 12 that we read. In Matthew 25, it was clear there are, there are some that will be able to enter into the kingdom, enter into the rest. So we need to remember that. That even though I might feel like it's a really hot day and I don't feel like serving and I'm tired or I feel like I've served to the fullest I can and someone else is the one that's dropped the ball, what I need to really remember is that there is a rest, there is a reward. And when I feel like there's an imbalance, I just need to remember who I serve 
and not think about this other person or think about myself and you know what I could do or you know think something's too low too lowly for me there is a reward for serving the Lord even when we feel like we're giving all we have and more is still required and even when it seems hard to find the gratitude from others for the service and for how we serve the Lord sees and rewards those that serve and we will inherit a great reward not only as servants of our king and our master, but as sons and daughters of the father. I'm the type of person where I, I, I feel okay about the things I do, but I'm in a constant state of feeling like I'm not doing enough. And that can be very unhealthy sometimes because I put it more on me and I take it off of the focus of serving the master. I think about just what I do. The flip side of that is not considering the things that you do and how you can serve more or better. Um, I think it would be a very good exercise for each of us to just sit back and think, am I doing all that the Lord requires of me? Am I truly serving him? Do I have the attitude of the servant that in Luke 17, that after I've come in from the field plowing or keeping the sheep, whatever it is, that I realize that I still am serving the master, so what else needs to be done? A day will come where I can, or a time will come where I can sit and eat and relax. But that time hasn't come yet. And I'm not saying, and there, I'm not saying that there aren't moments where we can sit back and relax in this life. I think there are. But zoom out. Think about it in, in the, just the scope of your life. That time has not yet come. It's still time to serve and time to work. And I hope that this will be encouraging. Um, I realize that I didn't reference at all our theme. Uh, and is because, well, I forgot that that's what we were doing today. It was uh, the focus on the theme. To tie it in a little bit, I will say that as I was thinking about shining as lights in the world, specifically our learning goal of working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, I really do think this will be helpful for this. Sit back and think about being a servant of God, servant of the master. What are you doing? What are you not doing? What can you do? Who can you focus on a little bit more that maybe is easy to overlook and work out your own salvation? You're a servant of God. So even if you think other servants are falling short on their responsibility, you know what? You're a servant of God. You worry about you serving the master, and that's it. And if that means that you do help each other out and that means you do point some things out, then fine. But you work out your own salvation, and you think about how you can serve God. Um, if there, are, if there is anybody here that needs help with that, you feel like you haven't been doing something, you need some help in knowing what you should do, um, I think that's a very good discussion for us to have. I, I would uh, love to help out with that. I know there are others here as well. If what you're questioning is, am I a servant? Am I following Jesus, like John 12, 26 said? Then we definitely want to have that conversation. And if that means that we pray with you then, and pray for you, then that's what we will do. If it means that we need to study some more and see what needs to happen, then we definitely do that. But I would encourage anyone that needs to um, do that and take care of a spiritual need to do so as we sing the song.